This is Taking Care in Business, a podcast that dives into the topic of corporate social responsibility from many different perspectives. Host Kathy Pedrotti Hayes is an expert in CSR and philanthropic giving, and her co-host, Vicki Bolson, is the founder and CEO of Bolson Group, a unified marketing company that was also the first B Corp certified company in Indiana. Kathy and Vicki became friends and equally passionate about CSR when they first worked together several years ago. Join them as they talk about why it is always worthwhile to take care in business. Hey, Kathy. Hey, how's it going? I am great. I am so excited about our guest today. Okay, me too. <laughs> so before I introduce her, um, it's appropriate that I ask how Buddy's doing. Oh, you're sweet to ask. You know what's so funny? He's So Buddy is my two-year-old yellow lab who's basically still kind of a puppy, but he did the funniest thing this weekend. I, yesterday, I had to get up to go to do this retreat, and so I got up, and he came out, and he ate his, and he's always so high energy, ate his breakfast, went outside, did his thing, came back in, and then went and got back in bed with Jeff. He was like, it's my weekend, too, lady. <laughs> I know. So he's good. He's really good. Oh, Thank you. Good. Yeah. Good. And you have Venti and Kona. Kona. Yeah. So Venti is my five-and-a-half-year-old golden doodle. And Kona is oh, so um, almost six months now. And um, I uh, took them to uh, uh, stay and play like training school while I was, while I was away on vacation. And uh, they learned all kinds of tricks. And they also, speaking of going back to bed with you, came home. And for the first time, they both have been sleeping in my bed with me. Yeah. <laughs> since my trip which is kind of fun because right. I think they warm. were so afraid I was going to leave <laughs> yes. again you know but we have um, well we have our guest that I'm excited about but she brought a guest named Jim Dandy today. <laughs> oh my gosh I know we have a little uh, is that a golden retriever he retriever? is a golden retriever okay. 11 yeah. week old okay. uh, golden retriever oh my gosh and the cutest thing so so cute and um, it's kind of funny because um, our guest today is Jillian Ashton from the Indiana Canine Assistant Network, which we call ICAN for short mm -hmm. here in Indiana. Um, and so she has to take Jim Dandy everywhere with her yes. because of what they do, which is, um, so ICANN is meeting two important needs in our communities. Okay. Um, one, they're providing children and adults living with a disability greater independence and an opportunity for a more enriched life by partnering them with a service dog. Mm -hmm. And two, they're preparing offenders to return to our communities better equipped to successfully reintegrate with their families and obtain a job. That's so cool. Yes. So every year this organization keeps growing um, and they have a huge waiting list. And so I spoke to Jillian a couple months ago um, for a pre-interview and I, I was just, I mean, I knew about ICANN, but I was really just just really drawn to the combination of of the providing of the service dog but also to who um, is uh, you know providing that training um, but Jillian's background in particular is super interesting too because she has served for with I for ICANN for 17 years oh wow yeah and so she's here to talk about um, the organization which is the only okay I have to get this right you are Assistance Dog International Certified, ADI Certified. Correct. And yep. ICANN is the only one in Indiana, correct? That is correct. Okay. Yep. Yep. 
So, woo. Yay. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks, and for, thanks for welcoming Jim. Jim. I appreciate that. Oh, my that. gosh. We yeah. hope that um, we won't have any piddles on the floor during this time, but um, he seems quite occupied. So that's yeah. great. Like he's yeah. asleep. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's great. Yeah. So 17 years. How did you get interested in this, Jillian? Yeah. So um, our organization started about 17 years ago, and my first introduction to the organization was as a volunteer. And um, our founder showed up on my doorstep with a puppy oh, and a legal piece of paper of um, commands that the dog knew. And that was our formal volunteer training at that point. <laughs> and so that little first dog, her name was Nora. And so I had the benefit of taking her wherever I went to try to socialize her. And she was being trained at the women's prison in Rockville, Indiana. And so that was my first introduction to ICANN. And fast forward a couple years beyond that, then I became a member of their board of directors and eventually becoming the chair of the board and just fell in love with the organization. I mean, as you mentioned, Vicki, the, the, the mission is has a dual mission, but it's serving people in our community in very unique ways. And I just love the dichotomy of, of that. And then the puppies, right? Um, there's, I, I say I never really trust anyone that doesn't like a dog. But if, um, if you love animals and you love to see them work and do something special, then you fall in love with ICANN. And then in 2013, um, I was able to become their executive and, and lead the organization to hopefully the next you know, 17 years. That's awesome. great. Yeah. That's yeah. wonderful. So how did the um, relationship with Rockville get started? That's really interesting. Yeah. So our founder had the um, unique perspective that somehow we needed to help people who were incarcerated mm-hmm. to gain skills, not just the workforce development side, but also the soft skills, learning how to be more empathetic, being able to care for something beyond themselves, because we all know that once we show gratitude, we often emerge out of our own pain and our mm-hmm. own suffering. And a lot of these men and women that we work with have had really troubled paths. Sure. So we want to be a part of their future. We want to help them figure out uh, ways that they can become more productive. So we um, approached the Department of Corrections at that point in time and with an idea of trying to put a program in the prison system to, to help men and women become dog trainers for us and that has evolved we are now at three different prisons the two men's facilities up up in um, Pendleton Pendleton thank you and the women's prison here in Indianapolis so those three facilities we have about 58 men and women training for us and it just gives them a chance to again learn a skill but we also have now a partnership with the Department of Labor Mm. meaning that if that trainer goes through all the criteria that we've put forth they can gain a certificate for oh, training and nice. grooming. So if they do get back out into the community, they have that opportunity to work in those um, areas. And we even have some men and women that have started their own businesses it's based fabulous. on the dog industry. So it's awesome to see that full circle come into play. And, and you're just really proud of the work that you're doing when you see that. Yeah. So what is it like when you take – so you – you when you were a volunteer with Nora, you would have Nora in your home, but then you would take her to the – prison and what what is that training like what happens yep so usually um, they have about a two-year training program in in the prison environment volunteers like myself at that time would take the dog out of the that environment for a couple weeks at a time and just reinforce the skills that are learned being learned in in the uh, prison so what is it like it's an opportunity I mean they are with these dogs 24 7 and 
if any of you've been in um, a maximum security prison, which a lot of probably our listeners have not, Mm-mm. but it's set up very much like a dormitory style um, environment where you have a bunk and there's two people in that bunk and the dog's crate is actually in that space as well. So those individuals have to care for that dog 24-7, not only just with the training, but the grooming, the, um, you know, if the dog gets sick in the middle of the night, they've got to get up and, and take care of it. So it's an opportunity to not only give them skills that they may have missed while being incarcerated, but the staff that works on that unit as well gets to understand mm-hmm. um, the benefit that it's hap- that's happening with those men and women on that dorm. Because some of them don't train for ICANN. They're, they just live with an ICANN sure. person. And they, too, receive the benefits of the, those dormitories usually are more calm. There's less infractions. So we're, we believe that we're creating an environment that's very welcoming and has a, a, a difference for those individuals who probably have not experienced that before. Yeah. And so it's just giving us a, a chance to, to show them maybe a new normal. You said that you had a really long waiting list. Um, yeah. Maybe that's my word saying really long, but whenever there's a need, it seems really long, right? Yes. It, it's yeah. unattainable. It just feels that way. What do you need right now? I mean, I also want to know how many families, to give our listeners an idea, with the years that you've been involved, how many people you've impacted. Yeah. So um, impact-wise, I'll start there, that we we have served probably over 200 families, which may not seem like a lot. However, over that period of time, that one person is in their community, is in their school, Mm -hmm. is in whatever environment they're in, and their independence has increased immensely. So that ability to interact in the world and be um, a professor on a campus. We have a gentleman who, a professor up at IU that opened up his world because of the dog or a kid in school that is shy and the dog is actually a social bridge to be able to. So all those individuals are impacted too. Um, But at this point, we do have uh, what I would if this is the part that keeps me up at night, uh, a significant wait list of 96 people. And I think with the knowledge that dogs are making a difference, and, and I feel like that has become more, uh, there has been more of awareness of what the power animals can do for individuals. I think people have sought us out and have figured out that we are, are training the dogs well and that we have a great program, so that also increases your wait list. So that uh, that's kind of one of those things that it's a it's a success problem, I guess. You know, you're glad mm-hmm. that you have the reputation that people want to come to you for the the dog, but at the same time, with our prison program and the way we're set up, we just need more resources in the way of people, uh, volunteers, as well as you know. I, I always put out there, I'm looking for that donor that's willing to um, you know buy us a building <laughs> or lots of kibble um, for the dogs, so that way we can continue to do what we do, but also put resources in our staff and our inmates that can continue to train the dogs as, as best as we can. Um, we also would love to, to potentially look at another uh, in another campus where we can put our prison program and try to grow the impact that we have on those individuals. Because since we have a dualitude of a mission, not only are the families that the end user are, are who we are impacting, but it's also the inmates and their families and mm-hmm. their you know their ability to navigate the community in a different way once they are released from prison. So, you know, yeah. to calculate all that, I, I I hope 
that it's thousands upon thousands of people that we just right. simply don't know how in how we've impacted, but we know we've impacted. I'm sure you impacted people when you walked through the grocery store <laughs> buying your milk today. <laughs> it is funny, you know, when you're walking down the street, um, you know, the smiles that you see on people's face, and I'm thinking, you know, it's we see dogs all the time, but there's just something about a working dog that you just have a a moment where you're like, wow, that that's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So this may be kind of a silly question, but where did the dogs come from? Yeah, no, that's a great question. When when we first started our program, uh, we kind of looked at the best inventory, right? How do we how do we get the best dogs into the program? We looked at rescuing animals um, out of shelters to try to put them through training and found that that wasn't probably working out as well as we needed to and we weren't going to be able to meet the needs that that we had quickly. So we started looking at alternatives and basically we we have our own breeding program and part of that breeding program because we are accredited through Assistance Dog International we also share dogs with other service dog programs throughout North America mm-hmm. and actually all over the world. We we do we did have one dog that came to us from Australia. So they wow. travel far wow. um, to, you know, to be in our breeding program. And that just gives us an opportunity to purposely breed them so that they are like Jim here who's kind of a chill dog and and listens and is uh, has the right temperament to do the job. And that has really actually increased our success rate. So the national success rate is about 50%, and we trend at closer to 60. So I really do attribute that to our breeding program as well as the consistency that they receive in the prison environment. I think those two items kind of really get us to a place where we have solid dogs that, that can do the work because they're being really bred to to do work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How long is their training? It's about two years, and even from the moment that they're born, we often have volunteers that will host um, the dog in their home, and the birth takes place there. It's called a whelp, and that whelp takes place in a volunteer's home. And so from the moment that they're born, we are actually working with them, touching their paws and giving them stimulation so that they're ready to take on cognitively the next stage which would be what Jim's going through right now the socialization and being able to walk around town and and be curious but yet be dedicated to the his what he's trying to do so we start from very early on but it takes about two years for them to cognitively be ready to do the the work that that they will do wow and how do they graduate like how do you know when they're when they're ready it's not just like a timeline right so, yeah, because just like kids or people, um, we all develop at different stages sure. and phases. And so we have some dogs that are ready before 24 months, and we have some dogs that need a little extra time. The prison environment, um, we host our graduations and team trainings in those prison environments. So we do one in June and one in December. So prior to that, we start looking at who's going to be coming up in that graduation class and start evaluating their 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 talents basically because every dog is different some will do really great at mobility or the you know stabilizing mm-hmm. someone another dog might be great in a facility like a school with um with children or special needs children some dogs have really good olfactory um senses and so they can smell so we would might put them in a diabetic alert program so up until about 18 months old we're all dogs are kind of going down the same path Again, just similar to school, right? You have their elementary education that's got the, the same curriculum that most all kids will go through. But then at some point, 
they kind of tell us what they're ready to do. And then we might specialize, start specializing their training to move toward that particular skill set. And then around 24 months, we start looking at clients that might best match with that dog. It's not a first come, first serve kind of situation. We try to look at the skill of the client, the needs of the client, look at the skill of the dogs and, and what they can contribute. And then we try to, we play the dating game basically and match them up as best as we can based on, on those two factors. And this is my favorite part of the program. And, um, I, I get emotional about it every time, but the families that we choose to have the dog, they come into the prison environment, the women's prison. That. Yeah. They come in, and those women basically then, as the trainers, they train the trainers. They train those families and the end user, the client, and they take the time to show you know what I've taught the dog, what the dog knows, how you can utilize it, and it is it's this Aww. amazing moment where it's two unlikely people, right? Especially Mm -hmm. if you're bringing your child into a maximum security prison to get a dog, you think it's kind of an odd thing, right? you know, not something that, um, that most people think about, but it's these two people coming together that are unlikely ever going to come together. And one has a solution for the other and the disability doesn't matter. The fact that you've made a mistake and you've ended up in prison doesn't matter. It's just these two people that are coming together to help each other. And I think it's just, it has grace all over it. And I think yeah. it's the most um, beautiful part of our program. Definitely. Oh, it is. That's just, it's amazing. Have you seen the documentary um, Pick of the Litter? I have not yet, but I, somebody had just recommended this to me probably about a couple months ago, two months ago. And um, I hear it's a sensational. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, you definitely need to okay. see it. I will put it down on my list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Matt is over here shaking his head. Everybody knows Matt's our film buff. For those who don't know, it's a documentary about the the process of training dogs from pup from puppydom to become a guard, a guide dogs for the blind yeah. and 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 everybody's path, each dog's path, and even even if those that don't get the job. Uh, they get a home in a different way. Yes. So anyway, there's your there's your film pick. Thanks, Matt. Oh, mm-hmm. Well, and we we have a special name for those dogs that are released. Um, they are called change a career dogs. We try to make it a very positive um, situation, and we have a lot of partnerships with some other folks that maybe and maybe in Jim's case, when he gets to that point, maybe we figure out that maybe service work that we do is not going to fit his personality. But maybe uh, working for a police um, detection or something like that would be. So we try to work those partnerships because a lot of the dogs, they want to do something productive. Like they, they love that activity. And so we'll work with other folks to see if there's a way to keep that dog working. And then if not, sometimes they just become a pet. But it is um, to go back to Nora, who I started when she was a pup. She did not. She was a change of career dog, and I adopted her, and she became, you know, our family pet. And she served every day. You know, she served yes. in some way mm-hmm. with our family. So um, dogs have purpose all over, no matter if they're working as a service dog or if they're just a family pet. They they all have purpose. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, this is just another curiosity thing. But, yeah. um, okay, so if Nora's a golden doodle and um, Jim down here is a golden retriever, 
are those what are the breeds of dogs that you typically are, are they certain ones yeah or? we typically do um again as i mentioned before we had all kinds of breeds before because we were rescuing dogs out of shelters and trying to figure out which ones worked the best for our program and for the for what we were trying to accomplish we have found that golden retrievers and labradors are probably the two breeds that work really well mm -hmm. sometimes when we do our own breeding we will do a cross of the two and do a um golden lab mix which is you know the dog if you're familiar with the breed the golden wants to love and you know be very affectionate and the lab just wants to work and so it mm -hmm. makes a really good combination for for what we're doing and once in a while we'll have a golden doodle in there because some clients really need hyperallergenic right um, dogs but we mm -hmm. we also recognize that sometimes um, we have one of our main responsibilities is to the dog and so if that dog is not comfortable in the prison environment, then we have to figure out how to train them outside the prison environment. And golden doodles have a tendency, just probably because of the poodle part. Prison is a tough environment for them because it's just lots of movement and doors, and sometimes they're not as confident. So we often have to put those in volunteer homes and, and get mm -hmm. them trained in a different way. But those are typically the breeds that we use at this point in time because mm -hmm. we've, again, found the most success with you know, attrition only being 40%, we, we know that we're doing something right. Um, so. Yeah, well, I mean, after you got to listen to the research, right? That's right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Look at the numbers. I mean, sometimes when you're dealing with a very emotional organization, emotional mission, sometimes that's really hard for us as a staff to take a step back and detach from the emotion and say, okay, what's the best thing and wh where do we figure that out? Well, usually it's data. And it's usually, you know, past performance is the best indicator of future behavior. So we have to look at the facts to be able to make some really good decisions moving forward. And um, so how, do, when you have volunteers, those who are not in prison, how do you train them? So we have um, kind of a combination. So we have staff that are our director of training, um, and they work with our volunteers on a consistent basis and get them ready to to take on the the task of helping. And what they're doing again, they're trying to reinforce the skills that the handler is putting on the dog in the prison. So they're not introducing new skills, but they're just reinforcing them in different environments: gotcha. church, school, football games. You know, wherever they go, they take the dog, so that way he becomes solid in those environments because most likely he's going to have to do that with his client in the future. So it's really just reinforcing the skills. I look at the handlers as the main trainers. I mean, mm -hmm. they are the individuals really putting the, the skills on the dog. And our men's prison usually does the what I call elementary school. They're, <laughs> they're doing the basic training. They're getting them ready for um, graduate school, which is what the Indiana women's prison does. And when we transfer the dogs there, that's when they're really starting to get set for that work with the client and they're putting skills on them. And then we look at what the client needs. Um, so we, we place a lot of dogs with veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. And often those individuals, um, they might need something very specific. And so we have to train the dog to do something more specific. For example, we had a gentleman who thunderstorms were just terrible, right? Like every time mm -hmm. that there was a thunderstorm or a major thunderstorm, he um, would kind of put himself back in Iraq and he would become unable to get out of that space. Well, we taught the dog um, wingman. And so wingman is whenever the thunder or the lightning starts coming, the dog knows to come behind the client and lean into the back of his legs and put pressure on him. So that pressure alerts him to say, oh, wait, 
I'm standing in a grocery store in Indianapolis. I'm not in Iraq, and there's my companion, and I'm okay. So it was a specific skill that we teach the dog to meet the need of the client, and I feel like that's, again, a place where we try to to put some special work so that we are really listening to what the client needs. And it involves, I mean, sometimes if you have a client that has MS or something like that, the disease is one thing the day we place, yeah. but it progresses. So we have continuing education, we have refreshers, so that client can come in and still use the dog in a way based on where they are today versus what we trained them to do maybe two years prior. Mm-hmm. So we're always trying to stay in wow, direct contact with so our clients. Cool. That yeah. is, that's really cool. Okay, this is sort of a morbid question, but what happens when the dog passes away? Yeah, yeah. Well, now that we're 17 years old, we're really starting to like come into this yeah. season where a lot more of our dogs are um, passing on. And we all are dog lovers, mm-hmm. right? You know from a personal standpoint how devastating that is when, when you lose a pet. It is um, heartbreaking. So think about it then when you have this tool that's helping you navigate right. the world and making your life more independent and and it does happen obviously right they never live longer you want they never live long enough dogs mm-hmm. never live long enough so we basically take those individuals and hopefully even before the dog gets to a point where he or she's in a a place where they know that that they either have to make the decision to put the dog down or where we're meeting with them and wondering about What's the next phase look like? Do you think, because sometimes children, they grow up and they don't want a service dog. Maybe they're in college now and it does, doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So we try to figure out where are they emotionally and physically at that point. And we start putting things into place to say, okay, we're, we'll probably have another dog that we want to place you with. So let's start looking at that. It's really emotionally hard because you don't want that dog to retire or to have to stay home when you take the new dog with you. So we try to honor all those feelings, but often um, if if the dog passes away, we try to move those clients to the top of our list, and mm-hmm. so they um, get preferential um, over over um, our current waiting list because we know that they that's such a that's loss. a tool yeah. that they they're, they're using, and without it, it sometimes it can be pretty devastating. So. It is. Um, it's a tough problem to solve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for no, them. very just a lot of individual work and conversation, right. customization. Yeah, yeah, not a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think, um, you know, when you're asking about needs, what what do we need? We love partnering with corporations because that 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 have a heart for our mission because those are the things that we're trying to figure out. Like, if you were to look at this as a as a manufacturing company, right? You've got the product mm-hmm. coming in, you've got to get it to the end user and all that. How can we how can we better do this? And sometimes it takes an outside person looking in to share with us, you know, if you change this piece of your program or if you try to implement this, you might be more efficient. And that's where I think our board, you know, comes they all come from business backgrounds. Some of our volunteers come from business backgrounds that just help us navigate that again less emotional try Mm -hmm. to move away from the emotional and look at it from logistics logistics and try like my goal um as the leader of the organization is to give the client our 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 end client the best experience possible so how what does that look like and you know having those outside individuals kind of participate with us it does help us figure out that 
okay, maybe if we just tweak this a little bit, we can we can get it done. Or maybe there's a skill set that we need to teach our inmate handlers that would help them become better trainers. And that's not necessarily teaching a dog how to sit, but more about conflict resolution or mm-hmm. some other, again, soft skill. And often, you know, our, our corporations are coming in and helping us put that curriculum together so that we can implement that into the program and have better success rate. Sure. That's, great. that's wonderful. Well, we could t- I could talk to her all day. I know. <laughs> but I, I know. know we probably need to wrap up. So I want to ask you um, where people can reach you. Yes. If they want to, you know, uh, contact you with an idea or they need your help Absolutely. or whatever. Well, of course, starting at our website, icandog.org. So that's all one word, I-C-A-N-D-O-G dot O-R-G. That's one great way to kind of get to know a little bit about our program look at um, our history and just kind of understand who we are as an organization. And then we, we invite the public to come to um, the prison, which is kind of, again, a little right. ironic kind of situation. But we do um, open houses uh, monthly at the, at the women's prison here in town, as well as our graduations, which take place in December and June. It's a great opportunity to come and actually see. We have about 300 people that attend our graduation on, an, on you know every time we, we host it. And I think it just gives the community an opportunity to come in and go, huh, I didn't know this was going on. Mm-hmm. And now that I know that it's going on, I need to share it with somebody else. Kind of yeah. like what you ladies are yeah. doing today. You've learned about ICANN. You, you think that it has merit in the community. So let's talk about it. And I think if we can get people to come and experience our events like that sure. and watch the graduation, because that's, again, oh, where the inmate yeah. handler is putting the vest on the dog for the client and they're making that exchange I think it's again it's my favorite part of the program because I feel like it shows exactly what we're trying to do so those would be the two recommendations but of course um, our website's a great place to start to get all that information great Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for thank being you. here. Thank you for bringing little Jim Dandy yeah. with you, too. You're welcome. Oh, my gosh. And all the fantastic work that you're doing for so many people. Thank you so much. I really yeah. appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I hope your listeners enjoyed learning a little bit about us. I'm sure they did. I'm sure. So our next nomination for Taking Care in Community is an organization I got to know um, while doing a project for Timmy the Timmy Foundation, which now is called Timmy Global Global Health, Health. right? But one of their big um, supporters or or partners, I guess, is TriMedics Foundation, and that is actually the nomination that we got. Um, What are they doing? So it's really interesting, you know, this whole uh, notion of reuse, right? So TriMedics Foundation was established in 2004, and they help raise the standards of healthcare for communities in need. So they work in partnership with medical mission organizations, and they provide support related to patient and hospital staff safety services to maintain the necessary equipment, right, that's really needed for medical care um, and the ability to assist with general maintenance of those projects. So, you know, medical equipment is really, really important and needed, and a lot of times um, the, the equipment isn't very well used, right? Like you might break your leg and need a wheelchair or something, but you don't necessarily need it longer term, they help with those sorts of things. So they're a 501c3 organization, um, and they work primarily to provide services to impoverished communities around the world. 
The foundation also partners with the U.S.-based medical surplus recovery organizations, the MSROs, to prepare and repair medical equipment for international shipment to developing countries. Wow. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting organization. It really is. You know, I never really have right. given this much thought, but it's it makes total sense. Sure. It sure does. So, um, TriMedics, if some of our listeners are interested in learning more about them, you can check them out at uh, TriMedics, which is T-R-I-M-E-D-X dot com. Thank you for joining us this season on Taking Care in Business. Let's give a big thank you to Matt Sosi, our Woo-hoo! sound engineer. Woo! And also our Taking Care in Community sponsor, National Bank of Indianapolis. If you'd like to nominate someone or an organization for an episode next season, you can visit our website, takingcareinbusiness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, or download Taking Care in Business wherever you get our podcast. You can listen to all back and bonus content episodes by doing so. If you love Taking Care in Business, give us a five-star rating and leave a review or share the episode on your social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Taking Care in Biz, B-I-Z. And you can also visit our website at takingcareinbusiness.com to listen to back episodes. And we'll always take your emails at info at takingcareinbusiness.com. Again, we hope that you enjoyed this season's guests. We'll be back for a spring season, so stay connected to us for updates on when that will start and to see what we're up to. Until then, take take care care in in business. business.